You're listening to Irrepressible. I'm your host, Maddie Burrish, bringing you episode number six. This podcast exists to feature conversations with women who are learning to thrive in the midst of physical limitations. As they take on outdoor adventure, creative pursuits, and more, they are choosing to embrace obstacles not as hindrances, but as opportunities. I hope that these stories will inspire, encourage, and remind us that we are not alone. We all face obstacles and go through difficult situations, though they may look different for each of us. Life doesn't always go the way that we thought it would, and it can be really, really challenging. However, we don't have to let ourselves be defined by those things. Sometimes the tough situations are the ones that teach us the most and help us find our purpose. That has been the case for this episode's guest, Brittany Corey. Brittany is a Paralympic snowboarder and registered nurse, but her journey to get where she is hasn't always been smooth sailing. As she shared her story with me, I found her perspective on life, down-to-earth attitude, and passion for helping others extremely encouraging, and I hope that you will too. First of all, I'm really excited to have you on the podcast, and I was thinking that we could just start off with a little introduction. So how about you tell us a bit about yourself? Yeah, so I'm Brittany Corey, and a bit about myself. Um, I love snowboarding. I've always loved snowboarding. From the first time I strapped one on my feet, I just completely fell in love. And, you know, snowboarding, I had an injury that led me to my new passion, which is nursing. And I love being a nurse just as much as I love snowboarding. And I love the outdoors. I love to mountain bike, downhill, paddleboard, wake surf, you name it. I just love to be outside being active. That's awesome. So getting a little more into the snowboarding, I know you're a professional snowboarder and you're a Paralympic medalist. I was wondering, you said that you fell in love with snowboarding the first time that you tried it. But what kind of got you into snowboarding to start? Uh, My older brother snowboarded, and I I was raised in New Mexico, and we were probably 40 miles from the border of Colorado, and I don't know, I just, it was just intriguing to me when I would go to the mountains and see people snowboard, and I, I learned how to ski first, but I just didn't, like, I didn't love it, and so I always wanted to try snowboarding, and so when I finally got to try it, I was hooked. That's cool. Yeah, I've, I've surfed quite a bit and I grew up not too far on the East Coast from where they had snowboarding, but I'd never really done it. So I remember I just asked my dad, I was in college and I was like, dad, we have to go snowboarding. So we tried it and I wasn't very good at it. It was a really warm day and the snow was really icy and, but I, I've done it two times and I would love to do it more. It's, it's pretty fun, but really challenging too. Yes, it's definitely hard to learn. But once you learn, it it does get easier. Yeah, it seems like something that that would be really fun. I love sports like that. So yeah. Will you tell us a little bit about your journey as a para-athlete? Yeah, so um, I never set out to be a Paralympian. I never set out to, I mean, I didn't I didn't even know what the Paralympics was, honestly, until after I was an amputee for a while. But um, my Paralympic journey is kind of unconventional because I was doing prereqs for nursing. I was an amputee at this point, and I watched Sochi, snowboarding in particular, and I was like, 
I know I could do that. Like, I know I could. I hadn't been on snow at that point since I've been an amputee, but I was like, I know I could do that. So I finished up my nursing prereqs. I got a job as a supervisor at the clinic that I was working at through nursing school. And I told myself, I have to do one race. If I didn't do one race, I knew I was going to live the rest of my life with regret. And so that's where my journey began, trying to find how to get plugged in and how to get involved with the Paralympic snowboarding. And I did my first race only 12 days on snow as an amputee. And so I was still barely learning how to snowboard. And I mean, it was kind of like riding a bike for me for certain aspects of it. And I just jumped right back in and less than three months later, four months later, I made the U.S. team on coach's discretion. And so I was only about 30 some days on snow when I made the U.S. team. That's amazing. And I know that you have been a medalist. Can you tell us a bit about that as well? Yeah. So my medal story is very unconventional as well. Um, I was an underdog, especially for, uh, for bank slalom because turning a snowboard, I was not very good at, you know, I did park when I had both my feet. And so it was go straight, hit a jump, go straight, hit a jump. There wasn't a whole lot of turning, you know? And so I, I, uh, yeah, I made the U.S. team in 2017 in June. And so I quit my job as a nurse and I dedicated myself. I said, you know, if I'm going to the games, I'm going to give it everything I have. And when I got there, I thought I had a chance in border cross because that's usually the event that I'm better at. And I ended up going down in heats and I was just devastated. Like my world had ended because I thought it was over for me, but I had to reset my mindset and kind of reset my focus of why I was there. And I was at the games to show my nieces and nephews that they can chase their dream, no matter how crazy it is or far-fetched or out there it was. And, you know, I, I wanted to be the best representative for my country. And if that was being in the finish corral, giving people the biggest high fives, finishing in last place, then that's where I wanted to be. And so, you know, I just said a little prayer and I'm like, wherever I'm supposed to finish today, let me, let me finish there. And my first run was a minute six and it put me in the, in third place. And I still had two more runs and I was like, all right, I'm holding on to this bronze medal, whatever it takes. And I crossed the finish line on my chin, on my face after that first run, because I wanted to slow down, but I could see the finish. And I was like, no, just make it there, whatever. And so my second run, I was like, I'm not, I'm holding on to this medal. You know, I'm holding on to third place. And I shaved five seconds off my time with like a minute flat. And so I was just, just so stoked. And I was screaming and my sister asked me, she's like, why were you so excited about your second run? And that second run I had put me in first place. And so the, uh, just a year prior at the test event, I finished last in bank slalom and I didn't finish one single run on my feet. I didn't, I did, I had to hike gates. It was terrible. And I tell her, you know, to finish sec to finish and be within the top times of the best athletes in the world. It was insane just to be able to be up with the same time as them. And so I was so happy. And even though I was still in that bronze medal position after my second run, it amped me up for my third run. And, you know, that third time it was like, this is my last time 
I'm going to drop out of the gate at the Paralympics in 2018 and I'm going to give it everything I have. And so I did, and I thought my time was a little slower, but it ended up being one more second I shaved off. So it was 59 seconds. I crossed the finish line again on my face, but, and I thought I was in bronze. Like I thought I had won a bronze when the last girl went through. I thought she had beat me. And then I looked up at the Jumbotron and I couldn't believe it that my name was second place. You know, I was the second best in the world at something. It was, it was pretty cool. That's amazing. Yeah. I can't even imagine what that's like. And, and not really even knowing that that was going to be the result. That's, that must be just such a like crazy, unreal feeling. Yeah, it was, it was crazy. And I guess like up top they have the, the event is broadcast and everybody was going crazy when I went because they've seen me ride. And my nickname is Hurricane Rita because the course will look like a hurricane sometimes after I go through it because I'd take out gates and bee netting and all this stuff because I was just so out of control. And so everybody was just so excited for me and I was so excited. I mean, it's still like somebody said, when do you think it's going to sink in? And even now it still hasn't fully sunk in that, you know, that moment. It's just, it's crazy. Yeah, I can imagine. So are you are you uh, looking to go to the 2022 Olympics as well and compete? Yep, that's my that's my goal is to make it to Beijing in 2022 and so I've been working really hard on snow and off snow to try to be the best athlete I can be and hopefully I'll be standing on a podium again watching my flag be raised on a pole and and hopefully the national anthem will be playing. So that that's my that's my next goal. That's so cool. Yeah, it's it's really amazing hearing hearing that story and kind of how you came from not not really even knowing that that was going to be the outcome to just going for it and going for more Olympics. That's yeah, really really cool. And I know that during the pandemic, you've been also doing something else that you love. You've been working as a registered nurse and I was wondering what inspired you to pursue a career in nursing? So um, I was living with a nurse when I was going through all of my surgeries. So I had a total of nine ankle surgeries and eight of those I had between the age of 22 and a half and 25. So I was having a surgery every three, four to six months. And I, I lived with a registered nurse and she had a girl that she took care of that had had a stroke. And so my job, how I kind of paid my rent when I wasn't able to work was I would watch her at night while Vicky was at work. And then, you know, one day she's like, you're not going to be able to snowboard anymore. She's like, why don't you do something with your life? Why don't you become a physical therapy assistant? You know, she's like, you've been in therapy for years. Like you would be great at it. But I'm like, that sounds so boring. I don't want to do that. So I looked into it and I looked into EMS because I could get an adrenaline rush and I could still be ski patrol <laughs> when I could snowboard again. And I took my first EMS class in um, January of 2011 and I couldn't even do the clinicals. So they had to break my clinical time up into like hour or two hour sessions because my ankle was so bad. I was on crutches for most of, most of the coursework and I, I just fell in love with the medical field. I, I really enjoyed that. But 
I realized that with the ankle that I had, there was no way that I was going to be able to work as a medic because I couldn't even get in or out of the ambulance. And that kind of solidified my decision to amputate. And one of my preceptors, his name is Mike Adams, he got his paramedic and bridged to an RN, which is what I was going to do initially. And he told me, he's like, if you're going to be a nurse, just go for it. Like, don't waste your time. Just go for it. And then I guess what really solidified it was that I had the same pre-op nurses, Fran and JJ, and they, you know, every time I'd go in for surgery, they would tell me all the stupid stuff I was saying when I went under, you know, at my last surgery. And um, I had told them that I wanted to be a flight for life paramedic. And after my amputation, they had the flight team take me from PACU up to my room and my amputation was pretty traumatic for my family. So I had to be really strong for them and almost convince them or sell them on amputation that I was going to be okay and that I was going to be all right. And what Fran and JJ did, they told me in a roundabout kind of way that if I still, if I wanted to be a flight for life medic, I could still do it as an amputee. And like that moment and what they've done for me, I mean, I shifted gears immediately and was like, I need to become a nurse. You know, I know what it's like to be a patient. I know what it's like to have to make a huge decision. I understand what family goes through when something traumatic happens to somebody. And if I can be somebody's Fran or JJ or Vicky or Mike, then, you know, I, that's, then I've accomplished my goal. Like if, if I can make somebody's bad day a little bit better, then it was, to, it's totally worth it. And I love going to work. I love what I do. It's not even, I don't consider it work. I, I just enjoy it that much. I mean, we all have bad days or mean patients or whatever, but I, I just love it. Yeah, I'm sure that going through the experiences you've gone through and having the nurses really have that impact has just really made a difference. And now that you are a nurse and you're in that environment, have you had any patients or kind of any experiences where you've really gotten to be that support and that person for somebody else kind of switching it and and being in those shoes? Yeah, I mean, it seems like every shift I'm given the opportunity to, you know, you're not supposed to have favorite patients, but in any given shift, you know, I can have four out of five patients are my favorite patients because they're just they're just incredible and they, they're very nice and caring and they understand the hard work that we do and they're appreciative of it. I mean, I had a guy last week that he's like, are you going to be back tomorrow? And I'm like, yes. And he's like, Oh, thank goodness. You know, I said, but I might not have you as my patient. You know, it just depends on how they split up the patients and the nurses. And every day when he saw me, he was just so excited. And I mean, that just makes my day when I go to work and, and even my coworkers, like going to work and just getting to know everybody and everybody's situation and helping out. And I mean, it's a cool camaraderie. It's, it's a lot of hard work. It's a lot of dedication. But, you know, with a good team, it, it just makes the day go so much better. Yeah, I can imagine having that team and that support. It just makes all of the difference. And I know, especially during the pandemic, there's been more of a highlight on healthcare workers who are important, so important just in the day to day, but the word hero has been kind of used a lot recently. And being in that environment and kind of going through the day to day and the nitty gritty and all of that of just caring for people and being a nurse and 
seeing that healthcare environment, how would you describe kind of in your own experience and your own thinking of, of what it means to be a hero? Uh, that's hard because I don't consider myself a hero, you know, and that there's a saying, you know, it takes a village to send an athlete to the games. And for me, being in the COVID tents in 95 degree heat and full gear, this is my way to give back to that village. You know, it's my way to help out. The, the real heroes are the ones that have been in the tents since March. And, you know, they've worked through the cold. Now they're working through the heat. I mean, th- those are the true heroes. And like for me, I don't really consider myself a hero. I'm just doing, doing what I need to do to help out my fellow coworkers, to help out my fellow people, to fellow, you know, to help out my fellow humans, you know. And I mean, I'm just thankful and grateful that I haven't had any symptoms of COVID and I've been healthy. Um, I'm kind of an ideal person to be in the tents because I live alone. I'm not around high-risk people and, you know, I'm willing to go out there and, and work in the heat. You know, I've, this is my 12th day straight and by, I don't have a day off again until July 5th unless they need me, which will be 19 days straight for me, either working the floor or working in the COVID tents. But I don't know. We just, I don't know. It's, it's the same thing like, like our military men and women, they're heroes. They, they go out there and they do what they're ordered to do and they work hard and they build a camaraderie and they have their team and they rely on each other. And it, it's the same for us. You know, we're doing not really what we're ordered, but we're doing what's necessary to help out our fellow man and woman. And we're trying to build that same camaraderie, or at least I am, where we have that teamwork. And when it is 90 something degrees out and it's hot, where we're still able to smile and have a good time. And I don't know. I just think, I think everybody that's been there since March, I mean, my heart goes out to everybody. This is tough. You know, we're, we're all suffering as, as the whole world is suffering. You know, this isn't a virus that, that sees color or race or geographics. You know, it's, it's a virus that's here to, to, to wipe out, those that are immunocompromised and those that are at risk. And so for us to be able to do our part to try to take that fatality down, even if it's just a tiny bit, it's, it's all worth it in the end. You know, the sweat, the heat, the, you know, feeling like you're going to pass out because you got a headache because you need to drink water. I mean, it's, it's all worth it. If, if one person's life, once again, is affected in a positive way, it's worth it. Yeah, it's, so encouraging to hear that. And just, I mean, the day to day, it's like you said, it's hot or it's cold, depending on when you're there and just so much work and all of that. But then to hear that you're still seeing the purpose behind it and, and that you're all kind of rallying together is just amazing to hear and, and really something positive to hear from my perspective of not really having seen the, the backside of that. And I guess from everything that that you've done and kind of overcome and just as a as an athlete as a person as a nurse if you could tell the audience one piece of encouragement or just anything kind of in general what would that be if you're going through a tough situation just know that situation isn't going to define you 
but it can teach you a lesson and it can make you a better person or it can help you find your purpose. At least that's what my journey has taught me. Because when I was in my teens and 20s, I was an awful human being. I was mean. I had a mohawk. I hated the world. I hated myself. I didn't want to be alive. I just wanted to snowboard. And, you know, it took eight ankle surgeries and an amputation before I found my purpose at 25 years old. And now I'm in my 30s and I, I love life. I love what I'm doing. And I wouldn't change the hardships for where I am for anything in the world. So instead of asking why something is happening to you, I encourage you to say, what? What can you do despite your circumstance to make it better for yourself or for somebody else? And if you can change your perspective, you'll have a much more, a much happier life and hopefully you'll, you'll be fulfilled and enjoy life as much as I do. That's a great piece of advice. I definitely think that all the, all the hardships and all the obstacles that we go through do shape us and wouldn't, wouldn't maybe necessarily go back to that, but it wouldn't be something that I would want to skip out on either because it just, you can't grow without those things. Yeah, I wouldn't be who I am. You know, I say my life circumstances and the people that have been placed in my life. I've had some incredible people that have stepped in and filled huge gaps and voids that I had. You know, they've given me love when I wasn't deserving of it. You know, I, I describe them as dots. I have all of these dots on a piece of paper. And once I start connecting these circumstances and these people and you connect all these dots, what it does is it creates a self-portrait of myself. And if I didn't have all of those people in those circumstances, my self-portrait would be a lot different than it is now. Thank you so much, Brittany, for joining us on this episode of Irrepressible. And thank you to everyone who tuned in this time. To connect with Brittany or to dig deeper into some of what we talked about on the podcast, please check out the show notes. You can find Irrepressible on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and various other podcast platforms. You can also connect with us on Instagram and via my website. If you enjoy listening, I invite you to subscribe, leave a review, and tell your friends. I would love to hear from you, and I look forward to having you join us next time on Irrepressible.